Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Delete. I'm still making these podcasts. I never know when it might end, um, but I'm still really enjoying it. So thank you for tuning in yet again to another episode. So today's guest is Justin Myers, who is a writer, journalist, and now novelist. I'm going to talk to him about his new book. The Last Romeo, which is a novel, his first novel, which was published by Little Brown this year. I first discovered Justin's work when he started writing under the pseudonym The Guyliner. I first started reading his hilarious writing back in 2012 when his blog posts were getting published on the Huffington Post. I feel like that was around the time I started being published online as well, and I feel like It's always really exciting to see someone who you've seen write for a long time online do new things to get such amazing opportunities as well. And I wanted to talk to Justin about his writing, uh, non-fiction, his memoir style writing that he wrote about um, mainly around dating. He's written columns for the Gay Times and GQ and The Guardian. And I also wanted to talk about how it was writing a novel that was sort of based on some similarities of his journalistic career. The book, The Last Romeo, tells the story of the character James and his long-term relationship with Adam, which ends. And he decides to try out the dating scene for the first time and writes about his exploits for a small online blog uh, under a pseudonym. So you can see where the similarities are there. Um, But obviously it is fiction and there are lots of things in the book that really um, are quite juicy and dramatic and lots of cliffhangers. It's a really interesting book. And there's one bit in the book where an account of a date with a closeted celebrity gets very popular online and goes viral. And it's really interesting kind of the way the book uh, explores coming out and the press and the media and how they try and, you know, get scoops around people's sexuality, etc. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this one. We talk about what it was like for Justin to kind of reveal himself as the guy liner for the first time after being anonymous for so long. Talk about how to write a novel, how to think about a plot before writing it, about popular culture and age and what success means to us. Lots of things discussed in this episode. So I hope you enjoy it and make sure you follow Justin on Twitter and um, yeah, check out his book, The Last Romeo. Thanks again for listening. Here it is. So I'm really excited to be here with Justin because I have followed your work for so long and I feel like it was 2010 or something that I first started reading your Huffington Post blogs. Maybe. 2011, I think, was the first year because obviously the blog existed in 2010. And then I was asked if I would put my blogs on Huffington Post as well. And that was 2011 because I used to know the blogs editor there and she worked out that I was the guy liner and said, oh, it's you. Put your blogs on uh, the Huffington Post. And so I did. And... um, and then I got the column in Gay Times and the rest is kind of history. That's so cool. I, I think you really um, sort of show this path of writing where you, you put yourself out there and you just write, write, write. Yeah, it was... Imp- I mean, I'd been a writer for a long time. I started writing, you know, when the, on, when the internet was first kind of exploding. I had a column on a, on a website um, in 2000. And um, it's the old, you know, adage, people don't really 
take notice of you perhaps at first and you have to kind of as you know you have to carve out your niche and make sure that what you're saying is authentic to you and also what people expect you to say and so I'd been a journalist for years and no one gave two hoots and that's fine um, I still got paid but with the guy liner I never expected it to become really this part of my career the huge part of my career that it's become yeah well because you were anonymous for so long and six seven nearly seven years oh my god because I, I remember reading it and did you have like an avatar or I can't remember if there was like, I had an eye that was it I and mean, there's no point doing it for the microphone <laughs> but it was my I should know this left hand over yes. my right eye that was it and so it's weird because that was what I imagined when I read your writing and then when you kind of came out as you yeah what was that like mm, it was very strange um i had thought about it over the la- last couple of years of being anonymous i'd thought about it because anon- anonymity had always protected me um in the past but i also think toward the end of that period it was maybe making what i was writing seem less authentic or less mm. impactful because we live now in such a, a much more upfront age where we're really putting ourselves forward digitally. And to be hiding, when I didn't really have much reason to hide anymore, because originally the anonymity was to predict dates that I went on and also so that the other work I did didn't interfere with it because right. some of the things I used to say as the guideliner were quite... Um, I mean, I meant them all, but they were quite... Not controversial, because I don't really chase controversy, but, you know... Forthright. They were juicy. <laughs> yeah, let's, juicy's a good one. I, that is a good one. So um, I, I kept them separate, but then it started to become a bit of a hindrance. I was offered opportunities that I couldn't take because I didn't go out, well, not, not go out in public, but I didn't put myself out there. I wasn't yeah. a public persona, you know, could you write this, but under your own name. So I said no to a lot of things, and eventually it was costing me progress. Right. But I didn't want to just come out of the anonymity closet for no reason. It had to be for a good reason. And so when the book deal came along, I discussed it with my editor and they offered me a nom de plume. They said, we don't want to publish it under the guideliner because that's not really a thing. And I don't really like, I don't like that name anyway. Um, I, I feel you on like past blog names. Yes, Not exactly. that I think that's bad, but you just feel like you've grown up a bit and it's not yeah, really you. you know, anymore. you were, it was Girl Lost in the City, wasn't it? For yeah. a, a long time, but that's who yeah. you were then and it really fitted your online persona at the yeah. time. But then as you were developing, you kind of need to put your own name on things. But what happened when you came, you know, I say came out as you, but you just said this is my name and this is who I am. What happened to then the backlog? Were you just like, okay, now all of it's out there? Did you go back and like delete stuff or no? Um, I didn't delete anything. No, I didn't. I thought I thought that enough time had passed probably since the dates because I stopped going on those, ooh, about four years before I came out. And so I was writing, I, I didn't write about them as much and I just wrote up backlogs and ones that I had wanted to put a bit of distance between because to have written about them straight away would have made it really obvious who they were about. So some of the like more shocking ones I actually sat on. It was a bit worrying, especially given that three of the guys I've been on dates with followed me on Twitter and didn't know and still didn't realise. Oh my God. Only really recently one of them said, oh, um, he actually, he didn't realise that we'd been on the date. He said something to me and I said, yes, yeah, funny how this didn't come up on the date we went on on the South Bank in 2010. <laughs> 
I could, it was an exchange over Twitter, but I could hear the jaw hitting the floor. It was oh, quite funny, actually. Oh, my God. I think, I think I'm quite lucky in that in the ones where it went badly, I was quite honest about my role in making it go badly. Mm. So the whole blog, when I was the guyliner, was never about making the dates I went on look bad yeah. just for the sake of me looking good. Sometimes the guys were horrible. And the way I looked at it was, you know, it was my life and I had the right to write about it and I didn't name any names and I don't think I was overly horrible about anybody. So mm. I thought, this is my story and I should be able to tell it. Yeah. I remember when I wrote about some really bad dates in my book, it was um, really interesting, the legal process, because it was just, you know, they can identify themselves, but no one else should be able to identify them, I think was yeah. the rule. And yes, I thought, same. actually, if it was me in someone else's book, and I had, like, black hair and I had a different name, and no one knew it was me, I mean, that's fine. Yeah, and that's why I was always very honest, because I always knew that when I'd written the dates up, and I did change details and you know hair color and where they were from and little bits of conversation or sometimes I'd meld two together that were only interesting if you put those two bits together but you know none of them could ever challenge me and say that's not what happened and I would have encouraged them to do it publicly but no no one could ever have said that's not how it was I was always very honest even when I looked like a, an idiot myself mm. thought it was important but with your book the last romeo which is obviously fiction and yes. um, still as funny and juicy as your um kind of i'm real, loving this real life juiciness friend. i just find it so i'm gonna go forward with that adjective <laughs> obviously it's fiction but i wanted to ask you yeah with that memoir style where you do have to change names and stuff yeah is it like taking something that is rooted in something you've that's happened to you and just basically blowing it up and taking it in a brand new direction. It's exactly that. It's um, for this book anyway, not for other stuff I'm doing, obviously, but for this book, I mean, it was just my life and I lived it for years and years. And at the time it didn't feel like it was that interesting. But obviously with the novel, you have like maybe six to eight hours to grab someone's attention and it kind of has to be interesting. So I took real life situations. So the friendship group at the core of the book are based on real people. But what you do is you kind of go off into tangents of what if, so all the things that could have got wrong. So I don't think it's a spoiler to say that uh, the main character, James, has his uh, anonymity challenged at some points and he goes on a date and blogs about it and it goes viral, you know, with a date with a famous person and it goes viral. That didn't happen to me, but what, so it was all kind of mm. thinking, imagine what could have happened and if this and if that. So it was actually quite interesting because the further away it got, from real life the more interesting a process it was and I think the story is better for it like when my friends have read it um, they say oh you know we like the first part because it's kind of setting it up but we kind of know all that bit already even though it's highly fictionalised it's when it really kind of goes a bit nuts Mm. kind of maybe halfway through that they really kind of got into it especially my ex-boyfriend because he was kind of oh I know, I know all about the breakup bit, although I must stress <laughs> here now on, on, on record, he's not the evil ex in the book. He was very nice. I had to create an evil ex because it's more interesting. <laughs> but, but no, totally. And people can get a bit offended, like, oh, is that me? And actually, yeah. it's not always the case. In a way, I was a bit disappointed when people kept saying to me, oh, it's just so you. And oh, I can't believe that your ex was that horrible. Or I can't believe that you did that. I didn't do it much of what's in the book. It's mm. kind of, I do have an imagination. I know I wrote the blog for years and that was based on real life, but this is kind of much more of my 
going into myself and kind of dreaming up scenarios rather than just reporting what happened. Yeah, why do people do that? I, I feel like they do that a lot. A lot of people say to me after they've read the book, oh, I like the bit where you do this. And it's like, I'm, I'm not in the book. Oh my God. I know, it's a bit difficult because the main character does some really stupid things in the course of the book. So, um... How did you come up with the idea if, if you could have gone anywhere with it? Was that difficult? Um, I spent two months thinking about what it could be, thinking I had no ideas and, you know, terminal imposter syndrome and all that kind of rubbish that, you know, that is very relatable in our times. And I, I, I kind of wanted to apply the things that I'm fascinated by. So I'm really fascinated by the duality of the internet and people not being who they say they are. I'm also fascinated by celebrity and not in the case of I'm enthralled to celebrities or find them particularly interesting, although I do have favourite celebrities, obviously. <laughs> but the just the whole process of it and behind the scenes, you know, I've worked in the media for a long time. I've worked on a tabloid briefly. I have got lots of friends who work in magazines and, and you know, I've worked on, in online journalism for years. So kind of that behind the scenes mechanics of what celebrity is and kind of how it kind of chews you up and spits you out mm. and what happens when celebrity and normal people kind of collide. Yeah. And also coming out and the whole coming out process. There's a few, there's a few different, um, you know, uh, references to coming out, especially how celebrities come out that I found really fascinating. And while I was writing the book, you know, celebrities were coming out all over the place. So it was, it was quite a, a happy coincidence, really. Obviously, with that storyline about the is the Olympian, the mm. famous person who's who's kind of, I guess, against his will, has been outed. That's not quite. So what actually happens is he goes on a date with a closeted Olympian, right. who is still in the closet, and writes about it. And I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say in the process, because of, this is also something that. Uh, interests me is the kind of guesswork that goes on on the internet once a rumour starts going around so you know like the super injunction things everyone just starts guessing immediately yeah. and you know uh, Sally Burkow got is it Burkow or Burkoff? Oh, Burkow Burkow yeah Sally Burkow she got into trouble um for alluding to the identity of someone in the Operation Utrecht thing, and it wasn't him at all, and I think he sued her, right, some right, lord. Right, right. So I was fascinated by that as well. So what happens is, when the internet is trying to guess who this um, Olympian is, they guess it's someone else. Right, oh wow. And it's all about how it impacts him as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because um, that was a new element. To, yeah. I don't think... That's a new element for, for the kind of story it is. I know that that, that does happen. So I yeah, really wanted yeah. to explore that and the way that the media leaps on it and how people who are outed against their will uh, manage it. Sometimes when celebrities come out, there's quite a calculated angle to it or it's not done from a place of um, really wanting to be out. It's forced upon them, mm. especially in the old days. You know, I remember when Stephen Gately and oh, Will Young came yeah, out. Yeah. It was pretty much a gun to their head kind of thing, you know, we're going to print this story. So it was exploring mm. that and the different ways, the kind of, the explosions that happen behind the scenes mm. and James, the, the lead character, being a journalist on an online gossip site. An online How gossip site? How amazing that you've basically just been doing all this research just by you have... Be, just by being work, alive. Working in the media <laughs> and being alive. And yeah. just being on Twitter and seeing it all unfold. Yeah. I think we're quite lucky in that way one of the things that the internet has done is kind of make the myths behind things disappear and we're much more savvy now to the machinations 
of media training and mm. the um, the way the press behaves. Oh, I, I, I remember the day that I realised, um, oh, the guests on Jonathan Ross all have something to plug. Like, I, all, I thought, I thought <laughs> yeah. sometimes that he just invited his friends on and they had like, yeah. a nice chat. And then when you start really looking behind the scenes and, and like people faking breaking up for, a, you know, for a bit of this morning sofa action. Yeah, and the magazine cover shoots and all that kind of thing. Yeah. It's quite... It kind of ruins it. It does. It dulls the glamour, doesn't it? And I suppose now it's going the other way as well, where the public are now very suspicious of things that happen uh, in the media because they think, oh, this is a fake... You know, look at Beyonce's pregnancy. Oh, it must be a fake pregnancy. She's been pregnant too long. Or they were never really into each other. Or he's really gay and that's where they're going out. So it's kind of now tipped completely over the edge where the press are now probably having to defend their reporting and kind of... Mm. I'm not mad about this new uh, era, to be honest, especially as a, as a writer, but it's, yeah. it, I do find it all interesting. Well, it's interesting that you're straddling both sides. I think, yeah. I think that's kind of a quite clever move in a way because it doesn't mean you don't have, you're not in the print world if you've got a blog. It's like you can do it all and you can write books, you know. I think yeah. for a long time, I think people felt like they had to choose maybe. Yeah, I, I'd like, always... what side are you on? Exactly, and I you know I started out at the beginning of um, really the boom of the digital era. So I started putting my work out there in you know ninety nine two thousand when the internet was God, still really you slow. You look really young. I'm weirded out. I feel a hundred. I'm forty two. Are you? So... I always assume people. I have this weird thing where I think everyone's the same age as me. I don't know what it is. It's just like yeah, I, I gravitate I... to people, and I'm like, we're the same. I had that for a while until I looked in the mirror more closely. So that's the kind of thing that happens in your 20s and 30s and then it becomes impossible to think people are the same age as you because they start looking like you do, like young. Mm, I'm not that young. Fresh face. But I assume that anyone, like even I'm, I was out the other day with there's a 21-year-old girl on the roster of my at my agency and I was just like chatting like, oh, and I was like halfway through the conversation I was like, you're a lot younger than me. Yeah. And I didn't, I just kind of go in on like a real level. I think... Yeah, I, I do think as well, actually, that the internet can help keep you young. And I don't mean young as in youthful, but I mean switched on to things that young people are interested in. Because there's this whole movement around that popular culture and innovative culture and things that are on the rise belong to young people. And I completely refute that because there's no rule that says once you hit 35 or 40, you suddenly don't, be, you know, you're no longer interested in things that are happening around you or new so stuff. True. And that's why I think it's really unfair that Madonna, I hate to invoke Madonna, but I am a gay man, so I must. <laughs> Madonna gets such a lot of flack for working with young producers and still producing, you know, relatively um, current pop music because she's 60. Why? Is she supposed to just... She once said in an interview when she was about 35, are you supposed to just die when you're 40? Mm. And sometimes it feels, as, a, as an older person now, and I've seen the internet just grow into this amazing thing that is, you know, without it, we wouldn't have a career, let's be honest. Yep. Um, and I think it's one of its most useful things that it does, is it, if you want to, you can keep tuned in. And it's not like a, you know, trying to be down with the kids, I hate that <laughs> phrase, 
thing. It's about being switched on and I think it's really enriching as a person if you are aware what other generations are doing. Yeah, totally. And it goes up as well, of course. So I think that's why it's really good that younger people, I would say more younger people now are interested in vintage music acts and old school TV. And I think there's more of a respect of heritage than perhaps there was of my generation simply because you were only exposed to it by repeats on TV. Whereas now, all the old shows are on Netflix or someone's bunged mm. them up on YouTube. So It's all like mixed in together. Everyone's mixing together. Yeah. In a way, it keeps us infants for longer, I suppose. I do, I do feel much, perhaps, less mature than my parents would have been at my age. Emotionally mature, definitely, but still, you know, clinging to my cultural references and that kind of thing. But yeah. I, I think it's good for all of us to kind of know what was big when you know the older generation was young but also keep on track of what younger people are up to why not yeah i hate this division i do and it means that then you're not kind of treating like another generation like the other you're just like we've got way more in common than than we do i hate this lazy millennial versus baby boomer thing particularly because i'm neither of those generations i'm in the middle thinking hello me (laughs) me all about me i hate it because it's very lazy and it's i don't think it's real i think we need to stop resenting each other because we're older. There's much better reasons to hate each other than our birth certificates. I know, it's so annoying <laughs> as well that people are celebrated for being young in a way that that's like the most interesting thing about them. Because yeah. that's why people have, you know, freakouts when they're turning 30 or turning 40. Exactly. Because you're told that actually we're, we're writing about you because you're young. It's yeah. weird. It's exactly. It's the obsession with youth culture ironically comes from older generations mm-hmm. probably a lot of them lamenting when they were young and so they kind of build put youth on this pedestal where it's you know it's the epitome of everything it's the pinnacle you're as you're as amazing as you ever can be and that's why we have these awful lists like 30 to watch under 30 mm. apologies if you've been on one because you sound like the kind of person who might have been on one i am but i yeah but I, but I, but I feel, but you've done loads but i'm very aware that that actually I feel torn about them, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Like, I'm on it, so I'm like, great. But if I wasn't on it, I'd be really... I'd be like, oh, that's such an annoying list. Yeah, it's... I think my problem with it is not that the people on it haven't achieved great things, because they have. But it's the world view that if you haven't achieved these things by the time you're 30, then what are you doing? Because mm. a lot of people are still finding themselves out yeah, totally. in, in their younger days. You know, but I think they were created for a time where you had to work up a ladder in a corporation and like yeah. be a CEO to be recognised. Exactly. And I think it was created like years and years ago to be like, come on, let's celebrate young people because you're not looking at them you, and you're ignoring them. And That's you know, a good point. They're yeah. not kind of... I don't know, it was like the spotlight wasn't on young people. And I think now because of technology and social media, people are obsessed with young people. And you can be a millionaire when you're 18 on YouTube. But I think now we need to change the list and it could be like 40 over 40 or 50 over 50 because I think it's gone the other way. Yeah, it's... That's just my theory. I know, I I agree with you actually. I've never thought of that before. I suppose it was about visibility because back in the day, business and media was just like the same white dudes. And they wouldn't give a loan to like a 20-year-old wanting to start a business. Literally not. But that's when ascending was the primary goal of everybody. Mm. And now we're all kind of shuffling to the side and trying new things. And it's not really, career progression now is about enriching yourself and not these milestones that you feel you have to hit, like in salary or, you know, in position. Because, you know, if I'm honest, 
at the moment anyway until like I get a bestseller I'm earning less than I was when I had a corporate career before I went freelance like when I was 34 35 because and there was money then in media mm. oh halcyon days I wish you I wish you could have seen them um, no, someone <laughs> on the panel the other day was saying he was on a starting salary at the mirror um uh, for like 45,000 pounds and he was like Whoa. in his early 20s oh okay I wasn't earning that much but I, I, couldn't, <laughs> but, you know. but I couldn't believe I couldn't believe that and like how Hello Magazine used to pay like millions for a story. Oh God, there was budgets. So many. There was mu- I remember because I, I used to work in telly and there was just this ridiculous amount of money to make this TV show that, you know, kind of might work. Yeah. And they, and I love like those stories even not that long ago when, they, you know, the in-betweeners. Yeah. When they were like, oh, go on then. Have a go. Yeah. And it's like, I just don't think that happens now. Pilots. I don't think they even do pilots anymore. You can't get green lit unless you have like a full series script it's wild money so that's that's where a lot of it comes from as well with the removal of the money we're having to look at other ways of developing our careers and it's all about I think it's a good thing actually in a way not that it's a good thing that people are being paid less but it's a good thing that we are discovering that career is not about what you can write in your business card it's about giving yourself a more whole existence. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Does that sound a bit crystals? <laughs> no, but I love crystals, so more of Oh, that. Even, even better. <laughs> but with this kind of, like you say, defining success for yourself, because it's like the wild, wild west out there at the moment, um, what what does it mean to you? Success. Yeah. Or even just right now. I'm sure it um, always changes. Writing the book was a big one, obviously. I never thought I would do it. I've had a couple of goes over the last two decades. And I never thought I would do it, but very typically for me, I had to be forced into doing it. So I was offered the chance to do it. You know, they came to me with the book deal. Were they like, this is your deadline type thing? Um, yeah, when I, when I signed the, the deal, they said it has to be in September. And I thought, oh, great, that's eight. I signed the deal in November. I thought, oh, great, that's ages. And I started it straight away and I finished my first draft by March. I thought it was really clever. I know it's not the same with the second book, FYI. <laughs> um, and uh, then there was loads of editing. So it still kind of was finished by September. Did the storyline change at all with the edits? Or was it more kind of editing the the actual words? Ah, right. Yeah, there were a few structural things. I'd never written a book before. And there were a few pacing things. And uh, there wasn't a lot, actually. Just tweaking and making it more like commercial fiction. You know, it has to be... A book is a story, but it also ha- and it's a piece of art, but it also has to be, it's a commercial product. And so it, there's certain things that it has to tick off, mm. and, you know, and, and it, with pacing. You will notice as you read on that it's quite quick. I never thought I'd do it, so I, and I still didn't think it was going to happen. So even when I signed the deal, I'd probably never finish the book. And then when I finished the first draft, the edits would probably take ages, and I'll have to change everything, and I won't be able to do it. So then we had three edits, and it was fine. And then, oh, well, there'll probably be something and it was never going to come out. And then I saw the proofs for the first time and I was like, okay, it's a book. (laughs) And then I had to do the final, like, copy before it went into, uh, you know, went to uh, production. And I was kind of, okay, it's coming out. Fine. I've I've done it now. So it was great. I think it was more nice, really, for my mum and dad. They're not together, but, you know, it was nice of them to see that maybe it wasn't all for nothing. Isn't it, isn't it funny that a it's book, weird that did you feel the same yeah I think I think and for your friends as well maybe yeah and it's weird because I don't I don't necessarily think my books are like they I don't think they symbolize like the best parts of my career 
But no. And those, so those like smaller wins that made me really happy because it was like on a blog or. Oh, really? I don't know. I think it's just an old school marker of success as well. Yeah, I think because which is really nice. I think because I'm family. older and because I've been a writer for so long, yeah. for them it was always going to be something tangible. Especially because I've written for online mainly over the years, for some something to have they could have in their hand. And because my friends have followed my career all these years, and I'm pretty much one of the only writers in my friendship group anyway. Um, so it's, it's, it's a big deal for them because yeah. they understand books because they're on shelves and that kind of yeah. thing. It is a huge deal. And I think it's, yeah. harder, it's, it's getting harder to be published, I think. I'm just glad that there's finally something that I've written that I can throw across the room <laughs> in physical yeah. copy because magazines yeah. don't land as well. They're good for sporting squ- flies. But, you know, if you're really... <laughs> I, if I'm really enraged, I can just throw a copy of my book across the room and I feel <laughs> amazing to hear that funk. With the second book, is it? have you had the same first draft down or is it you still in the mix? No, it's been a longer process because I was promoting The Last Romeo, obviously, and there's been a, a lot more going on this year. So no, I finished the first draft in July, so I'm a bit... I'm not behind because it's not due until September but I'm not on the same timeline I was with The Last Romeo. But I think, obviously, with The Last Romeo being my first, I needed that extra time anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With this one, fingers crossed, we will see. Maybe it won't need as much of an edit. I'm doing the first edit following my agent seeing it, so it's not been handed in yet. I think I enjoyed writing it more because I was less worried. I was very, very um, worried about how the first book would be perceived and was whether I was doing justice to my experiences and the audience. Expectations have been fairly high from regular readers, I think, whenever I've met them. Oh, we love your writing. It's so funny. I can't wait to read the book. And I go back and look at the manuscript going, is this even funny? It's not funny. It's not funny enough. Um, and because I didn't show anyone it either until I handed it in, I, I kind of kept it all to myself. So I was internalising a lot of... something ten times, it's not going to be as funny as... Oh, yeah. It was like reading a bank statement toward the end. I'm, I'm not a good one. Um, it, yeah, I felt so detached from it from the end. And I, I even said to my editor when I handed... Because you know you do the... You do the final proof, don't you? And it's all on sheets of paper. Oh, you, know, God, you did yeah. that. Oh, oh, and then I'm just... like, I want to change everything. And they're like, you can't. This is the final stage. Oh, yeah. They said to me, they said to me a lot, but especially that morning, they said, just to let you know, this is not for structural change. <laughs> this is typos and maybe little words you want to change. Just so we're clear. And I was like, okay. Um, but after I'd read that, I handed it over and said, I don't want to read this book ever mm. again and then when it came when I saw the copies I was like I read it not prop- not properly I was reading yeah. bits going I'd forgotten about that bit yeah. and then people say to me oh I loved that bit on page whatever where this happened and I have no <laughs> recollection of that at all yeah it's funny I when I um, haven't spoken about my book for ages and I get invited on to something I'm just like what did I write yeah it's weird memory's a weird thing it is a weird thing but just lastly um, I could talk to you for ages about this but with your book events and kind of meeting people and people that have you know followed you for years um what's that been like and what's your kind of favorite bits of that it's been great um because obviously historically i've been very insular and anonymous Mm -hmm. and so never met anybody i think i met two people off twitter before i revealed my identity um so it's been Nerve-wracking, I won't lie, because you're really putting yourself out there. And I'm not... I'm that kind of person who thinks they love attention until they get 
<laughs> 10 seconds of it and then um, I'm like oh, no actually I would just like to go and hide under the rug would you say you're an introvert no uh, it's a hard no, question I'm I don't really, know what I'm it really means loud anymore. and talk a lot so I don't know but yes in personality I won't I will try not to take over a room like we're having a conversation and I know that I'm here to talk to you about stuff so it's fine that I'm like talking a load of rubbish and like not shutting up because that's what you need for the podcast however no, I'm loving it Carry however on. you know at a party I won't sit squawking all night unless I've had a few drinks <laughs> but meeting people has been amazing and I think that when I really felt like a proper author was the day the book came out I did a Q&A with do you know Alex Fox who's a really uh, oh, funny and um, amazing sex, uh, sex writer yes. she's lovely and yeah. she she hosted the Q&A and people paid to come and see me and I was like whoa this is responsibility so I tried to be funny and everything and tried not to sweat too much and then after I signed some books I, uh, um, a thing I still fe- find really awkward signing books for people mm. it's so weird do you want me to sign why what do you want me to say and then uh, someone who'd read me for a long time came up to me and he said it's like meeting Beyonce oh my god and I said that's the best thing you could ever say to me I'll never forget you what's your Twitter handle I don't know follow him on Twitter and um, he, he was so nice and I just thought what a lovely thing to say I know it's not true I know only he was just saying that but when people say to you and you must have this as well when people say to you that something you've written has, no, it doesn't even have to have moved them emotionally, but has made them laugh or made them forget or made them rem- remember something. There's no greater compliment. And I think the biggest compliment about all of my writing is when people associate things with me and like tweet me to mm-hmm. say, oh, my friend discussed sharing food today and I know that you hate that. And <laughs> have you got your Christmas tree up yet? You know, you realise yeah. that whether you like it or not, you have this um, kind of, unconscious brand that's happening even though you're not pushing yourself as a brand people know you for certain um, aspects of your behaviour it's weird and yet amazingly flattering and I really love it yeah well it's you're a part of someone's day yeah consuming your writing as something that people are enjoying as how they're wanting to spend their time exactly and I'd never thought of that and so many people tell me oh I love reading your blog on a Saturday morning in bed or we make sure we've got a cup of tea before we sit down to read it and I'm like Oh, that's not that's yeah. cool. That's really cool. Well, I, I read your. Do you still do your Guardian dates? Um, they're on um, temporary hiatus while I get this book yes, finished. Yeah. Oh my god! Because I only have a but certain amount of writing energy a day, really. Yeah. And they, they take yeah. quite a lot of it. Well, yeah, um, they're but they'll, they'll thank you. They'll, they'll be coming back. Oh, will, that's I can't. Good I can't news. give them up. Exclusive. Yes, they are coming <laughs> back definitely. Oh well, thank you so so much. Thank you so much. It's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you.